Welcome to Legendary Talks, a My Spring Harvest podcast bringing you the best sermons, Bible studies and seminars from over the decades. Today we're hearing from Krish Kandaya. He's sharing on the concept of Christians as time travellers back at Spring Harvest 2018. So I had a kind of strange encounter last night. I was, uh, I was going through the skyline. We were just packing down our stand over there. And um, I walked into the Spring Harvest Resources area. And I came across this. What's, what's weird about this photo apart from me? Right, let me zoom in for you. So I'm thinking, you've got the CD of the talk that I'm going to give tomorrow. (laughs) I'm going to buy that CD and I'm going to listen to it and figure out what I'm going to say. (laughs) It was freaky. You know, is there some kind of spring harvest TARDIS that can move into the future and bring bits of it back into the past? That would be so cool. I would love to know what's going to happen on Tuesday. How many goals is Liverpool going to put past Man City? Come on! But it reminded me, actually, that as Christians, we are time travellers. Maybe you know this already. You know, when when person walks from the street into some of our churches, they are definitely travelling in time, aren't they? Sometimes they're travelling back to the 60s, aren't they? The, the 1860s. <laughs> Sometimes it's just the 60s, you know, the 1960s. We've got three guitar chords and uh, we're all trying to kind of do Beatles stuff in our worship. But, but actually that's not the direction of travel that we're supposed to be going. As Christians, we are time travellers to the future about what God is going to do. We're giving the world a taste of what could be. That's our job. That that idea is called eschatology. If you don't know what eschatology is, don't worry, it's not the end of the world. (laughs) I want to zoom in on the passage we're looking at this morning in James chapter 5 to help you see why uh, this time travel idea is so important. And uh, we've been challenged, haven't we, by James. Uh, He's told us that we must face it. We've got to face the truth. We've got to read the word of God, but we've got to do what it says. We can't just look in a mirror and forget what we look like. We've got to look into the word of God and then put it into practice. We've got to live it. Our faith cannot just be nice words. It's got to be actions too. We're supposed to care for the widow and the orphan as part of our true religion that we offer to God. We're called to tame it, to use our tongues and our words well, not to crush and put down, but to lift up and build up. We're called to lose it. We're called to lose our pride and take on the humility of Christ because we know God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And today we're called to finish it. And in James chapter 5, verse 7, let me read it to you because it's a bit dark out there. Uh, James says this, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting uh, for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm 
because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, an example of the patience in the face of suffering, take the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Did you hear that word over and over and over again? Be patient, patient, patient. Now we live in a strange time. We live, in, we live in the space between what we know God is going to do in the future and what we're living in now. Some people call it the difference between the now and the not yet. Now, why do we need to be patient? Jesus has won the victory. He died on the cross. He's risen from the dead. We can trust him, can't we? That he's one day going to wipe out all evil. So surely Christians now should be living in victory. I've, I've met Christians that tell me that, that actually all of the blessings of the future are available now in the present. That if you're sick, you will be healed. If, if you're sad, you can be made joyful. And if you're poor, you will be made rich. They promise all the blessings of the future now. But if we get it all now, why do we need to be patient? James tells us, no, you, you don't get it all now. You get a taste of it now, but you don't get it all now. You have to be patient. We live in an instant culture, don't we? You, you know, I, I really struggle when I get into a lift. Do you? I, I can't be bothered to wait for the doors to close because those extra two seconds are going to spoil my life in some way because most lifts don't have Wi-Fi access and I'm going to be not on Twitter for about three seconds. And so I press the button that is the most pressed button in a lift. Do you know what that button is? Door close. I reckon the door close button is not actually connected to anything. <laughs> I reckon it's just like a stress relief button, isn't it? You think you're doing something, but nothing is actually happening. James said, you don't get it all now. Be patient. Trust that God will actually deliver in his time on his agenda. Some people say, oh, no, 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 Chris, you know, real Christians have the faith to believe it can all happen now. But actually, I think that's a sign of immaturity, not maturity. I have an 11-month-old baby who lives with us. He's amazing. He's so good. He, he does a brilliant Darth Vader impersonation every night as he sleeps. And he sleeps in, in our bedroom with my wife and me. And it's like this. My wife says it's comforting. Because she knows he's breathing and he's alive. I find it really scary. I have a lot of Star Wars related dreams. I feel Darth Vader kind of over me, about to choke me to death. But my 11-month-old has no concept of patience. He's got to have it now. There's no waiting with him. It has to happen now. And if it isn't happening now, stuff is going to kick off. I'm going to throw my biscuit on the floor. And you're going to know about it. Impatience is not a sign of maturity. It's a sign of immaturity. 
We can trust that God will one day deliver on his promises. But guess what? In the meantime, we might have to experience suffering like the prophets. Why do we think that these holy men and women of God in the Old Testament are the weird ones because they suffered? James tells us, no, they're an example to us of what it means to be faithful to God in the face of difficulty. Why do we think Job is the odd one out? No, James says. Job, uh, he was an innocent man. He'd done nothing wrong, and yet he suffered. He didn't suffer because of lack of faith or unconfessed sin in his life. He suffered because God somehow allowed it to happen. And James had to be, uh, Job had to be patient that God would one day deliver. It's tough, isn't it? It's tough to be patient. Read this out with me. This is the theme verse for me this morning. Are you ready? Be patient. Stand firm for the Lord's coming is near. And again, be patient. Stand firm for the Lord's coming is near. When you hit something hard that you can't get around, you can't understand what God's doing, you don't know why this terrible thing is in your life, I want you to say that to yourself. When I'm running, and I'm not very good at running, Gavin Calver told me the other morning, he gets up at 6am, even at spring harvest, to go running. I was lucky to to get up at 8 o'clock and walk very slowly to breakfast. That was my exercise. But when I do run... I'm always talking to myself. It goes like this, don't die, don't die, don't die, don't die. (laughs) Sometimes you need the encouragement, don't you? And you have to speak truth into your life. You hit something hard, I want you to say this. Be patient, stand firm, for the Lord's coming is near. Sometimes we get a taste, don't we, of that future in the present. doesn't happen every day, but sometimes we get a taste of what God is going to do in the future when he puts everything right. We get a taste of it in the present. I tell you, I've, had, um, I've been trying to serve Jesus in one way or another since I became a Christian at 15. But there's one week in my life that I look back and I say, thank you, God, that you gave me a little taste of what the future is ultimately going to be like. I was pastoring a small church. Hands up if you're from a small church. Yes, me too. I love small church. I love the fact that we can all know each other. I love the fact that everyone in my church knows all the names of all the children in my church. You don't get that in big church. Big church has got lovely things about it too, but small churches are great. We just want to take a quick break to talk to you about Spring Harvest. If you're enjoying this podcast, you should definitely join us at Minehead or Skegness this Easter. It's five days full of inspiring talks, heartfelt worship and family fun. On top of an amazing programme of sessions, it's hosted at Butlins, so you'll get access to the swimming pool, fun fair, play parks and so much more. It's great for all ages, a place where the whole church comes together at the pinnacle of the Christian calendar. So take time out, find space to hear from God and feel refreshed and equipped to live the life he's calling you to. Find out more, including dates and prices at springharvest.org. I was in my little small church and and I was in my tiny little office that barely had room for my desk in. And um, I'm sitting there tapping away, trying to figure out my sermon for the Sunday. It's Monday, I thought I'd get started early. And there's a knock at the door. And it's a, a... 
two, uh, a couple and a baby in a pushchair. And uh, the couple come in and um, the husband, uh, he can speak English. And so he, he starts to talk to me. He says, I've got a problem. My wife, she wants to become a Christian. I'm going, that is my kind of problem. I can help you with that. Tell me more. He says, well, okay. So we sat down. And these people were Kurdish refugees and they were Muslim. And they, they had scars on their body where they had been tortured. And um, the wife had seen something in Christians who had been merciful and kind to her. And so now that she was in England, she wanted to become a Christian. And I wanted to help them. And so I said, okay, look, you need to be really clear that the Bible is so strong that this isn't an easy decision. It's not just, yeah, you say you're a Christian, you are. It's a lifelong commitment to follow Jesus. He'll give you the power of the Holy Spirit to do it, but it's going to be costly. You might lose family over this. You're from a Muslim family. I don't know what your Muslim family are going to say or do. I really went heavy on the cost of discipleship. I think as James would do. And the husband's translating and the wife's going, yep, 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 I'm still in. I spent half an hour trying to put her off, but she was still in. (laughs) And so I pray a prayer. You know, one sentence at a time. The husband translates it into Kurdish. The wife repeats it. And then we're going. And she says that she became a Christian that morning. I did nothing. God did all the work. I was just there to kind of join the dots. And I said, look, this is amazing. We need to meet. Let's meet every day this week. And then when Sunday comes along, we'd love to have you come join us at church. And so every day we met for a bit of Bible study, talking about what it was like to follow Jesus in the world today. And they were just lapping it up, lapping it up. That same week on our church website, we got an email through from someone that was looking for somewhere to stay. And um, my wife is probably the most hospitable person on the planet. Okay, you might know that from the fact that we have seven children. Four of them don't belong to us. So she, she got started on this. She said, yeah, he can stay with us. I said, we don't really know anything about him. He says, my wife says, well, he's in need. He can stay with us. So this guy comes to visit us and uh, we explain the rules. He says, I've just arrived in England from India and I'm looking for somewhere to stay. I work in the IT world, but I don't know anyone here. I said, okay, well, fine. He said, you are very welcome to stay with us. We're a church-going family. If you want to come with us to church, you are really welcome. But that's not a condition on which you have to, you know, sign up to in order to stay. He says, you're Christians. That's brilliant. Because I really want to meet Christians in England. I said, well, why? He said, well, my auntie, she, uh, she died uh, in India. And then Christians prayed for her. And now she's alive. And I'm going, hang on. My theology's all right. I I, I believe Jesus can raise the dead, but I've never met anyone who's been raised from the dead or whose auntie's been raised from the dead. That's amazing. So, you know, he stays with us and um, Sunday comes. And so I know that I've got this guy from a Hindu family who believes Jesus can resurrect the dead. And I've got a Muslim family who believe Jesus is the Messiah. They're going to be at church together. (laughs) Now, one last thing about this Sunday. Our church was in a really, really brown area. Okay, I I don't mean, you know, dingy. I mean brown like me. (laughs) There were loads of Asian people that lived in our community. And our church was a little iceberg in the middle of white people (laughs) and me. 
And uh, I've been struggling to get people from different nations into our church. Uh, people would turn up on the Sunday and uh, they'd love what was going on, but they'd kind of look around and going, I am the only brown person here apart from the preacher. I'm not sure I fit. So I had a cunning plan. I thought, could I get loads of people from different cultures in on Sunday at the same time? They won't know that most of the brown people are new. They'll just think this is the way it normally is. So I found out people in the local community, they really, really liked um, kind of Bangra music. And a lot of them, although they were Asian, they were originally from Africa, from Tanzania and Kenya. And so we had a kind of African Bangra night on the Saturday, and then we asked these guys to lead worship on the Sunday. And they led it just from a drum. We had African worship on a Sunday morning. And uh, it was in Swahili and English. And loads of people turned up from loads of different places, Kenya, India, Afghanistan, they all came to experience this. And uh, the guy on the drum, he's leading the drum and he's really funky. He was the funkiest person in the room. Um, turns out white people, we're not great at rhythm, okay? <laughs> and I count myself as a white person because I'm a bit of a coconut, you know, I'm, I'm brown on the outside, white on the inside. That's why I can't dance. So he's leading, he's leading. I might have broken all sorts of politically correct taboos there. <laughs> but I'll play the brown card, okay, all right. So he's leading worship on the drum. And he says, right, repeat after me. You're going to repeat after me, you ready? He says, Jesus Nimwamba. Yeah, that's exactly what we did. <laughs> he was trying to tell us, Jesus is the rock. Jesus Nimwamba. But we all said, Jesus ni mamba, which means Jesus is a crocodile. <laughs> so we're all laughing, we're singing, we're bouncing. Some people are bouncing, some people are... <laughs> and then in walks the Kurdish couple who've just become Christians on the Monday and my Hindu uh, housemate who believes Jesus can raise the dead. And uh, they all sit in the same place. And at the end of the service, my Hindu mate, he goes... I don't understand you people. There's something weird going on here I can't understand. You've got white people like this. You've got Africans singing. I've never been in the same room as a Muslim person, but I sat next to one. What is going on here? Do you know what was going on here? The kingdom of God was going on here, wasn't it? The future of how it's going to be we got to taste it in a tiny little church in Harrow. That's what we tasted, and it was beautiful. We had a little bit of the not yet in the now. It was great. Next Sunday, I had a lot of people that were angry with me. <laughs> One guy said, look, I've been in this church all my life, and we've never had a Sunday like that, and not in a good way. I felt like a foreigner in my own church. I don't want these other people in here. I want my kind of church, my kind of way. I went from the highs of heaven to the lowest of the low. We live in this tension, don't we, of what it could be, but what it currently is, and it's painful. So do you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to be patient, stand firm for the Lord's coming is near. We keep on keeping on, trusting that God will one day fix it all. 
But now we live in the tension. Maybe it's a little bit like that in your church. You come back, bop in from here, and nobody else gets it. You, you gently and graciously tell your pastor, you know, some of the stuff you've learned, and he's or she's, they're not, not really up for it. That can be painful. I don't know how long the glory of spring harvest lasts. For some of us, it doesn't last until we get out of the car park. You guys have made a tough choice. Some people left before the service so they didn't have that experience. But you've listened to the Dougie Dug Dug CD three times and you still haven't got out of Butlins. <laughs> we want the not yet in the now, but we live in the tension. I want you to help me with something. I want us to reflect prayerfully on what it means to live in the now when we wait for what's not yet accomplished. I'm going to read some phrases from the Bible about what we know, what's coming. And after each sentence, I want you to say, come Lord Jesus. Okay? And maybe as we go through it, you might want to build in your passion for this, that we want it to happen. I was in a Pentecostal church in Australia. And uh, I was preaching, it was the best experience ever because there was, there was like this front row of enthusiastic people. I, I would say, hello, my name is Chris. And they would go, yes, that is your name. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Jesus is alive. Yes, he is. <laughs> so channel some of that Pentecostal. I know I'm Baptist and you're Anglican and all that, but let's try. Are you ready? Come, Lord Jesus. Give me a practice. Come, Lord Jesus. We know one day he will wipe away every tear. Come, Lord Jesus. We know one day there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Come, Lord Jesus. We know one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Come, we know that one day people from every tribe and tongue, from South Sudan and North Korea and Nigeria will gather around the throne of the king and shout, worthy is the lamb. But we also know today, your response is, Lord have mercy. We also know today, 760 million people live below the poverty line. We know every day 42,000 people have to abandon their homes to seek protection from conflict. We know that there are 22 million refugees running from terror, famine and poverty. We know there are 8 million children in orphanages who have living parents and they don't need to be there. We know in the UK, 870,000 children go to bed hungry because their parents can't afford to feed them. We know every 20 minutes a child gets taken into foster care because of sexual violence, physical abuse or neglect. We live between those two truths, don't we? We know what's coming and we'll fight and we'll work to make sure that people get a taste of what's to come but we live in the reality of the pain of our world. Now, our Jesus gave us a way so that we would never forget that he's coming back. He gave us a way to sustain us and help us fix our eyes, that he will come back and put everything right, no matter how bad it is now. And that way was the communion meal. 
I don't know how food functions in your house, but food functions as a great gatherer in my house. I have a 19-year-old son. I have an 11-month-old baby. Demographically, they haven't got a lot in common, except food. When I come home from work and I rattle the keys in the door, normally there are two kids that want to see me, a five-year-old and a six-year-old. And they'll come running, running, running. Daddy's home and they'll give me a big hug. The teenagers, it's like I am an invisible person. (laughs) And uh, they're upstairs ostensibly doing their homework on the computer. Yeah, I mean, they are good kids. I love them to bits. But I tell you, when, when we call them down for food... It's like, you know, gathering at the waterhole. They're all there. Food brings us together, doesn't it? It unites us. And so Jesus gave us a meal that would unite us as his family, but it would also remind us that he's coming back. Jesus said he wouldn't drink from the fruit of the vine until he drinks it again in the kingdom of heaven. In our house, we count down to Christmas in how many sleeps are left. Do you do that? Six sleeps till Christmas, five sleeps till Christmas. For the Christian church, we count down to the coming of Jesus in how many more communion meals we're going to have. This is one more communion meal we have. And it's one less until we drink the cup, the fruit of the vine with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. And he puts it all right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Legendary Talks. If you enjoyed it, make sure you hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit springharvest.org to find out more. We'd love to see you at Spring Harvest 2024.